We've heard that over in some of those European countries, they have what they call the Iron Curtain. We heard about a bamboo curtain in the last big war over in the East. Well, out here, we have the buckskin curtain. The public just absolutely does not know and cannot imagine what goes on out on the reservations. It's a matter of corruption. It's a matter of waste, unnecessary, and it's expensive. And we're all going to be paying for that. You'll see it show up on your fuel bills. You'll see it uh, in your tax bills and higher rents and everything. The result of the waste. And uh, it goes down in this society so that uh, to make a profit for somebody. So the uh, economy is, going, is uh, going to pieces. Ours was shattered a long time ago absolutely taken away and shattered. Now we're trying to build a little bit of an economy all over again because we have to have that any people do to eat and to live. Ours was taken away from us and completely abolished. <laughs> This is Rolling Thunder, Part 4, The Buckskin Curtain, the fourth of a series of eight programs on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. David Menongue was asked about conditions at Hopiland and about the strip mining at Black Mesa. He spoke about the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the government-formulated tribal councils, the management of reservation land and people, and the breaking of treaties. I'd thought about these issues as Indian problems, but now I learned that Indians consider them white men's problems. Up home, there are a lot of things going on. In the first place, these Mormon people have forced themselves in and are building houses up there, right down on the other side of First Mesa, and the chief there didn't want that. He was trying to get it done away with, but the Mormons are pretty strong, and they're just about finished. The chief has the authority to give anyone permission, but they forced themselves in, and they're building a Mormon church. In another village, they're trying to put up a low-cost housing project. That's a very sacred place and should not be desecrated, but they're trying to build a low-cost housing project where the Snake Dance Society performs their snake dance. We were instructed not to follow any policy of the Indian Bureau because their intention is to take our land and whatever really belongs to the Indian people. As you've noticed, most of the Indian people have no land. Their land has already been taken away from them. They have no more rights to their land, no more rights to their water, no more rights to their timber. Their things have been taken from them. Therefore, we don't want to take part in any tribal council. Before these were formed way back, we were warned not to take part in any kind of clubs or councils that would be newly formed. By doing that, we will only defeat ourselves. These other people around us, our own Indian people, have fallen into the hands of the Indian Bureau, and they have been defeated. They are only depending on the Indian Bureau to borrow a lot of money so they can build houses, build roads. They're not looking ahead. When they borrow money from the Indian Bureau, that's how they get tricked. They run into debt, and that's how they get caught. That's how they lose their land. Now we are counting on you, as I've said before. You have a right to protest against these things. We don't want to lose our land. We still are kind of a nation. We want to be left alone and to do things in our own way. We want to live. We want to retain our life the way we've been living way back. Way back, the life was good. The people respected one another, and they were getting along fine way, way back. If you do things right, you're Hopi too. If you've not done something wrong which might be contrary to the law of the Great Spirit, if you are doing something that is right, you also will be called Hopi. Even if you're not this color of skin, you also will be called Hopi. 
Hopi means peace. The name Hopi means peace. It's very hard to do things in the right manner. But as long as we do things right, we are in tune with the Great Spirit. No one can do away with our belief or with the Hopi people because we have a pretty firm belief in the Great Spirit's life plan and we are still trying to follow that. We were told, even if we be going on a stumbled road, not to get discouraged. We must put a stop to this strip mining. Most of us do not have good health, and we would be the first ones to suffer from the smog and pollution and all the destruction. When the smog will spread all over, it will affect the whole system of the people, and the little animals, the birds, trees, vegetation, and all things will be ruined. Everything will be polluted. That's why we are much concerned. We would like to have that done away with. We would like to have it stopped completely. Some of our people are for this strip mining. They are the ones who are fighting against us. They should love the people instead of fighting against them. They should pray for whoever is in need of help. In our religious services, we pray for all people, no matter what color skin, and for the animals and all things around us in Mother Earth. I always say we have our own church within our hearts. You have your own church right in here. If you follow that within your heart, you are doing something right with the Great Spirit's instructions. You can follow your own heart even if you do not go to church. That's the way we've been told. You know, sometimes in the morning, sometimes we don't feel good. Sometimes we feel angry, depressed about something. Of course, we sometimes have hatred. We all have some arguments with some other people. But if you have trouble with some other man and you hate that man and think, I wish he'd die and go away, you're just working against yourself. The other man may not be feeling angry towards you, but you are angry at him and thinking thoughts against him. You're just working against yourself. You're bringing pain into your own heart. The other man cannot affect you in any way, but if you hate him and you're going after yourself, you'll hurt yourself with your own bad feelings. Sometimes we don't feel good, and sometimes we have some kind of illness, some fear, some imagination, and we just don't want to mingle with other people. If you come out from your house, and if some people are standing over there, maybe half a dozen people talking about something, you think they're talking about you. You think they might be criticizing you, but they're not talking about you. Go up to them and talk with them, and if they talk about some happy things, and if they're laughing, join with those people. That's the only way you can do away with your fear or anger or depressed feelings. When you come to people who are happy and who laugh, join with them. That's the only medicine. Happiness is the only thing for people. If we respect one another and not hate one another, we'll all be united and we will be happy people. So I still smoke strong tobacco. I know some of the Mormons up there and over in Utah, they say don't drink coffee. Well, I drink strong black coffee. The strongest I can get, too. So see, there's nothing they can do with me. In fact, I'm worse than that. 25 or 30 years ago, I'm 60 years old now, 60, 10th September. I'm a Virgo, whatever that means. <laughs> Sounds like there's a lot of Virgos. <laughs> I, think, I think they're okay. But anyway, uh, what are you going to say? Uh, 25 or 30 years ago, and they used to say I chase women. I don't know, that was not very popular someplace either, I guess. But uh, I got a lot of bad habits, and I live uh, quite a natural life, and uh, a happy life. That is, we don't think about all the evils and devils, and the little children that are born in a camp. I've got three grandchildren at the present time. One of my sons married a Chinese girl out of San Francisco. They're living in a wikiup, and she likes it. They have it fixed up real nice inside. It don't look like nothing on the outside but a mound sticking out of the earth, you know. You build them as big as you want them. You make them out of willows. But on the inside, that's something else. Rugs on the floor, on the walls, psychedelic stuff. They even have some psychedelic stuff hanging on the walls and a candle and pillows, white luxurious, and a fire pit in the middle, you know, warm in the winter and cool in the summer. No FHA either, a bank loan later. So I don't want to tempt all of you into coming to Russian right up there because I've heard how it is. 
and some of these big cities. And that, uh, I read somewhere where uh, in a few years, a lot of you people are going to be priced completely out of the housing market, and that a lot of you won't be able to rent an apartment no more. Oh yeah, I've seen it up in New York when a bunch of us went up for a meeting in the United Nations a while back. Seen things I'd never seen before. And I've seen old ladies walk in the street with a pack on their back. And I asked my New York friends the meaning of that. I said, the first time I've seen old ladies hitchhiking. They said, they're not hitchhiking. They live here. I said, where do they uh, sleep? They said, oh, they sleep, uh, they can't pay the high rent. They're old pensioners, and so they sleep in doorways and on beaches in the park. Now, I'd never read that in the paper or seen that nowhere, but I've uh, seen it, and that's the way they explained it to me. So uh, it's remarkable. It's interesting to travel. But uh, I like to go different places and see how different people live. And uh, I found good people among all people, even the rich people. And I found some of them that were uh, kind of lost or uh, wound up. And uh, a lot of them get paranoid or something like that. They're always in a hurry, you know. Here you make another buck, but they have to. They're trapped into it, after all. And uh, oh, I've seen things up there in New York that made me realize things that uh, uh, they're really going to hell. They're really going to pieces, I mean. Pardon the English. But, uh, what makes me... Uh, uh, I used to make cracks about Los Angeles and the smog down here, you know, years ago when I'd come down here and when we first started, you know. But we came through Los Angeles on our way to New York. And that was an education too. And after being in New York, when we came back through Los Angeles, it looked beautiful. So you're not too bad off Los Angeles yet. <laughs> so uh, overlook anything I say at this time about Los Angeles. I can't drink your water. Too many chemicals in it. If I take one drink, anything with any chemicals in it, I have to spit it out. Same way if I smoke a tobacco and it's got a uh, foreign substance or chemical in it, uh, I can't stand it. And so uh, I'll apologize for these other people with me that can only, can't smoke five brothers and only smoke cigarettes. They have to, you have to work up to this kind that I smoke because it is strong. Not everybody can smoke it. So I don't recommend that for everyone. Oh, I'll get back to New York, though. I want to tell you a couple of my experiences up in New York and what changed my mind about Los Angeles being so bad. I know you'd like that. <laughs> and anyway, uh, I got a black eye in New York, for one thing. And uh, I'm 60, like I say, I'm 60 years old. I have to slow down. But uh, once a year, I go out to get my exercise. And uh, here I've been riding planes and buses and trains, subway trains, you know, bang and rattle, and I was getting sore in every muscle of my body. And uh, I knew all I needed to do was get out and take a, a good walk, good hike, but it happened to be late at night. And I had a bodyguard with me. I never traveled alone anymore as Apache Bob, and my wife's spotted fun was with me, but I left them home. I had a premonition something going to happen this night. So I didn't want someone to get in the way or get hurt, you know. So I took a walk all by myself, midnight in New York. And in New York, I'm just like I am in Los Angeles. Now, out on the desert, in the sagebrush or in the, in the woods, they can't lose me. But in Los Angeles and New York, I walk around the corner, I'm lost. I always need a good guide. But I wasn't worried about that. I thought I knew where I was going, and besides, uh, I was more interested in getting out and taking this hike. I only walked a block and a half. And they told me later, I was getting down on the edge of Harlem. It was a pretty rough district where I was in. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, there were people sitting in the doorways, a bottle between their legs and staring straight ahead, you know, and shadowy figures walking all around. Well, that's all right. I don't bother them. They don't bother me, you know, and uh, all that stuff. I like to see how other people live anyway. 
But uh, one big fellow, uh, bigger than Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, I know him. He's a friend of mine, but he's a gentleman. This guy wasn't, and he is bigger. And he walks up and hit me. I didn't see it coming, you know. And he hit me real hard right here, right over here on the, on the jaw. It didn't hurt. It uh, broke his fist. I didn't bat an eye. <laughs> and I guess they used to, when they hit New Yorkers, they go down, they take their wallet and you know, all that, you know. And uh, poor guy, uh, I'd have given him some money, you know, I'd have shared with him what I had on me if he'd have asked me, approached me in the right way. But it was, a, it was a surprise, and I wasn't in the mood for being mugged that night. I was only thinking about taking a hike, see, so anyway, uh, he backed off and was looking at me and shaking his fist like that. And, uh, and he had his mouth open and uh, looking at me kind of funny. But uh, uh, I didn't take time to talk much because he's got another one hanging there. <laughs> and I knew uh, better than to, if he can't make it in one, one try, why give him seconds? And uh, so anyway, I stepped in and something happened. He slipped and did a flip-flop on the pavement and he hurt his head, I think. And uh, then I showed him with a boot a few times to see if he's okay, but he didn't move. And I never took no course in karate in my life. I always just think, what's to be done here, you know, or something like that, you know, and it seems like it happened. <laughs> and and uh, I tell you, people up there are really go crazy. They're really getting crazy. And I went back to the apartment. Next morning, I had a beautiful black eye, though. Now, if I'd have been where I belong and behaving myself at that time, I'd admit it wouldn't happen. There's a certain place we're supposed to be at all times and all that, but like I say, I only allow myself once a year to go out and see if I can still move, and all you have to do in New York is shuffle along like an old man, you know, a helpless old man or something, and uh, you can't move if you wanted to. And it don't take long to get your exercise up there. So, so if any of you go to New York, why, uh, watch out. Hey, I'm going to go. 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 Hey, I'm going to go.
There is no justice under law on the reservations. Off the reservations, there is sometimes a pretense of some type of trial, but in most all cases where Indians are involved, Indians are advised to plead guilty with the promise they'll get a reduced sentence. That never is the case. The Indian is always, without exception, convicted. In cases where Indians are murdered, sometimes by ex-convicts and criminals, sometimes in cases where it's known who the guilty parties are, nothing is ever done. We would like to have some resort to law to get these cases into proper court, to make appeals to federal courts where we know there would be a better chance of justice. We would like, if we could, to have some dedicated young lawyers come here and stay. Of course, we realize that they would need not only knowledge of the law, but that they would need also to be very dedicated because the forces of the establishment don't like any opposition. They would try to intimidate any such attorneys and probably try to run them out of this country. Now, Los Angeles is not immune, and it's certainly not moving in a direction to clean itself up or to establish good relations between uh, the people living here, which could be done very simply and very easily, starting with the Indians and making things right and uh, uh, starting with uh, the bones of our ancestors, uh, giving that back to the proper ones and for proper burial and respect like it should have been all the time. And the, uh, it's, uh, they're not promoting good relations between the whites and the blacks and between all the other people living in the area. And that's up to the leaders, of, uh, the politicians. It's up to the spiritual leaders of the community like the uh, rabbis and the, uh, as well as uh, the priest and the uh, bishops, the different ones that have to do with that. And they're not doing it, none of them. They're not doing it. They're not bringing about this brotherhood and the peaceful relations and the, uh, how to live together. And, uh, and it has to start from respect. It has to, that's what we teach the little ones in the first place is respect, respect for the nature respect for each other. And some of these these people that are supposed to be leaders of the people, leaders of the religions, and leaders of their uh, governments, they're not doing their job. And uh, I say our Indian religion is an activist religion. And what I say too, what you asked me a while ago, what we can do to clean it up, I'd say fire them and get them out and uh, out with them. Now, how you do that, it's not really up to me, because I'm an Indian. And uh, we have our own tribes, our own chiefs. And uh, uh, I, uh, I'd say, though, uh, among the Indians, that's what would be done. Uh, just like the public councils on the reservations. If you didn't have police out there, uh, the government, the uh, white man didn't have police out there protecting those puppets, uh, they'd be off in 24 hours. Uh, they'd be out and off. Uh, I, it wouldn't even be up to me to say what would happen. But I do know one thing, it wouldn't last overnight. And uh, yet, you white people put up with it. And uh, when you don't have to, we Indians have had no choice because the army and the police have forced this kind of a system of corruption onto the Indian. We've had no choice whatever. But the white people tell me that they do have a choice. They tell me they have a democratic government and that they vote and they're proud of it. They'll even fight for it. And, uh, and uh, they, they believe in it. Well, I think it's all right, providing they make it work, and they're not doing it. And they, they, they go along with the corruption, they go along with these past evils, and if anything, it seems to me some of them are in favor of it. They're in favor of kicking the Indian around, or kicking other people around. And now, uh, there's some that's not. But for the ones that's not, and claim they're spiritual, 
and sincere, it's time that they should get off their ass and get out and do something. At least write a letter or make a, prayer, a good prayer. Uh, whatever it is they know how to do to make things better for each other and for their brother. And so that's what I would like to tell them all. when the white man would shake hands with the Indian. But what is needed now between the white man and the Indian is not merely the shaking of hands. What is needed now is for the white man to make some restitution for the wrongs and the crimes that have been committed. What is needed now is the fulfillment of the treaties and agreements that have been made. Many people today want to befriend and understand the Indian and even learn from him, but the government, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and the Uncle Tommy Hawks the BIA's puppet tribal councils are going in the opposite direction. They continue the cheating and they continue the taking of Indian lands and the taking away of the Indians' practical rights and civil rights, and so things become worse. Even today, in this day and time, we are still losing our land, and they are still killing our people, even our young people. Many of them have been found dead in the town of Elko and on the reservations. Sometimes they're found dead in the jail. We can't prove these things. We can't do anything in their courts. We can't convict or even investigate anybody, even when we know full well who does these things. Our people have no legal representation whatsoever. Lawyers in the town of Elko and other small towns in our part of Nevada are bought by the big ranchers and the mining interests and the cattlemen. They do not care for a poor person, especially an Indian who is the poorest of all. Our people are dragged into your courts, and many times there's no pretense of a trial. The recent Indian Bill of Rights doesn't mean anything out there. Only recently a young man was thrown in jail, and he was not allowed to have an attorney or witnesses. He was not allowed to see his own mother before the trial, and although he had three witnesses in his behalf, they were not allowed to appear. No one except the agency officials and the puppet council were allowed to attend the trial, and this man's actual crime was that he'd had the nerve to run for the tribal council. He was a traditional Indian, and he thought that by running for the tribal council he could help his people, and he was thrown in jail. The law calls for the hiring of Indians on all government projects, on the reservations. Yet even when there is the need for carpenters and builders, and Indians are available to do this work, Indians that have been taken out of their homes and sent far away to school to learn these trades, you won't see Indians hired on these projects. They build highways through our reservations where they should be required by law to hire our people, and yet they do not hire the available Indian labor, even when they have to import labor from other states far away. The kidnapping of Indian children from their own families goes on all over the country. They kidnap Indian children out on the reservations under the guise of some sort of child care or religious programs. Any excuse is all right, provided some white family wants a child or someone likes to convert people. These people will get together with the welfare agents and the sheriffs and the Indian agents and they'll go out on a reservation and take a child. They might say it's because the family is on welfare or has too many children or anything else they can think of as an excuse at the time. Often no papers are served. 
religious groups like the Mormons, people who should be our best friends, people who claim that the Indian is of the chosen people, are very much implicated in this kidnapping business. We've heard that over in some of those European countries they have what they call the Iron Curtain. We heard about a bamboo curtain in the last big war over in the East. Well, out here we have the Buckskin Curtain. The public just absolutely does not know and cannot imagine what goes on out on the reservations. Another thing happened in New York. I want to tell you about this. Uh, we got lost. Indians always get lost when we go in the city. I'm not the only one. Uh, <laughs> I think some of our brothers here might agree to that. But anyway, uh, we went up for the United Nations meeting, you know, and they threatened to assassinate me at the gate. They were mad at all of us. And me in particular, for some reason, I didn't understand. But I knew that wouldn't happen. They could get me any time they wanted, CIAs, FBIs, uh, any of the other outfits. They could get me any time they wanted, but I knew they wouldn't have the guts to do it there. They wouldn't want it to happen there anyway. Uh, it would be kind of messy, bad publicity. And we got in the United Nations, all right. And they wouldn't let the Indians talk after we got in there. I got the pass right here in my pocket, the main conference room. They let all the other religious leaders of the world talk. That's what it was supposed to be, a spiritual conference, the religious leaders of the world. And they all got to talk, the Jewish and the Muslims, and talked very nicely, and they made some good talks too. And the Christians and different ones, and the Buddhists. And they were all there, and they all got to talk, except two groups. And that was American Indians and the Tibetans. Now you tell me why. They ran out of time, so we didn't get to deliver our message. And a little bit that could have been added to bring about world peace, to put together with the others. They missed the boat, just like they've been missing the boat ever since they've been here. And they won't find it across the ocean. That's good over there, too. They got some good ones over there that fit those countries. But we Indians are the ones that know the law of this land. We don't even say we own this land. We know we don't. But we are the caretakers of this land, and we have the knowledge of how this land should be taken care of. No one else will take that, because that was delegated before anyone came here. If you had a system based on American ideas, I didn't say American Indian ideas, I said American ideas. Then uh, you would, uh, instead of European, and I'd say that you would, uh, your government wouldn't be falling apart now, and that you'd probably be able to end this corruption. 
you'd probably be able to bring them back into line and create a condition here like it was meant to be in the first place where people could live in peace and together with no uh, no discriminations, uh, uh, stealings one from the other and none of these bad things. You know they got the constitution of this country from American Indian. You'll find that in the uh, American Bar Association reports. They didn't invent it. They had nothing like that in Europe at that time. And so that's why it was drawn up here. But it, they don't tell you. It was copied. They don't tell the little children in the school that the uh, Constitution is an American thing, really, because uh, Iroquois, uh, the ones that already had that, they copied it from them almost word for word, the way it described American Bar Association report. Now, I think the Constitution is a very good ideal, but the reason they couldn't go by it is because their training itself, uh, it was supposed to be something set there and not to be fulfilled. And it plainly has some very good things in it, like uh, no infringements on uh, religious ideas of other people, yet they've allowed other, other kind of a religion, to foreign religion, to exist in this country except up till a few years ago, uh, some now, but not as much as up to a few years ago, that uh, American Indian religion had to be in secret, and was outlawed by law, and all this in conflict with the Constitution, which was copied from the Indian Institute. So we're not even permitted to benefit from our own law. And that's a kind of a dictatorship I was talking about that the Indians have been under and still are. This is because of foreign European ideas that, uh, like when they came out of Europe in the Dark Ages, they called it themselves. And during the Inquisition, when the Inquisition was going on, and the meanest of them, like the Puritans, the meanest people on the face of the earth, they couldn't get along over there, so they got they were kicked out because of that. And uh, they uh, came here. They were the ones that were burning witches at the stake. And by their own records, their own history, over there and then again over here, a place called Salem, Massachusetts. And the most horrible things that you could think of, and they were naturally critical of the Indians. Well, some of them the ones that helped write the history that uh, they still study in the schools today about the American Indian, that we're not supposed to be have any brains, uh, that we're not uh, no intellectual people at all, and that we were supposed to be like they are and become robots. And uh, that's wrong. We should move in a direction. They should have moved in a direction like the ancient civilizations that were here before. And that then it would have been possible to have a democratic system based on American Indian ideas, and like the Iroquois, it would work, even in a modern society. It would have been possible to have energy from the natural elements, like the wind and the sun, and the gravity of the earth itself, and even the tides of the ocean. And so these things were done, and they could, with the technology they have today, do any of these things they want to do. And they could, but who's stopping them? I don't know. Ask the oil companies, or, the, or uh, some of those officials up there in the government. I'm satisfied they know, and they could tell you and uh, who it is and why they're doing it. Uh, look on, uh, I'd say uh, for that look into the stock market reports or uh, somewhere like that and you might find out. Rolling Thunder thought the starting point was the forest chaining issue. He explained about the, quotes, Ely Chains, the modern Bureau of Land Management invention to facilitate, quotes, vegetative manipulation. These are large ocean anchor chains from naval surplus with short lengths of railroad iron welded across each link. They tear out a forest at the rate of 20 acres an hour. 
The heavy chain is stretched between caterpillar tractors to drag away pinion trees, whose nuts are the traditional survival food of the Shoshone. Juniper, Indian tea, sacred plants and herbs are ripped in the path. Wildlife is destroyed to clear grazing land for the private use of Nevada ranchers. Whose land is this done on, and who does it, Woods asked. Who authorizes it? Who initiates it? Well, it's done by the Bureau of Land Management, or it's contracted out by them. We have a BLM office in Elko and one in Ely. It's all authorized and managed by them, but what they're doing, they're responding to pressure from big power interests in Nevada. These rich ranchers don't care about the future when the land will wash away and the whole area becomes a dust bowl. They're after the instant profits from the use of the so-called public domain. If this land is the public domain, then it belongs to the public, and the public might need it some day. Actually, most of this chaining takes place on Indian treaty territory. Not the reservations where they've shoved us, but our real Indian land within our territorial boundaries spelled out in the treaties. And the Indians are the custodians of the land. For Rolling Thunder, these were the two reasons why the chaining issue should be the starting point. If the Indians are the custodians of the land, the protection of the land and the will of nature become Indian responsibilities. If the land in question is Indian territory, then the forest chaining issue is also a treaty issue. There's got to be some way for these treaties to be brought to the attention of all people and to force the government to face these treaties, to admit that they're breaking their promises and either live up to their part or mutually negotiate new agreements. We have tried, in letters, in protests of treaty violations, and in court cases across the country where the treaties should be involved. We're fighting this pinion tree chaining for two reasons to save what's left of the pinion trees, and to save what's left of our treaty lands and rights. We have a pretty good treaty with the United States government. The Shoshone Treaty is very clearly spelled out, and it's quite favorable to the Shoshone people. Of course, it's broken in every way possible, but if it were to be observed, things would be quite different today. At least with the Shoshone people, we would not have what you refer to as Indian problems. Poverty, alcoholism, the high unemployment rate, the high suicide rate. For the real problem is the broken treaties. The real problem is the cheating of the Indians. This is the problem. People propose a lot of so-called solutions for these problems. They talk about medical solutions, psychiatric solutions, economic solutions, social solutions. The only real solution is honesty. Be honest with the Indian. Begin to observe the treaties as originally agreed. They are still valid. Begin to set right all the wrongs that have been accomplished against the Indian in all the years of cheating. I am a medicine man, and I am a legal spokesman for my people. I represent them here in this meeting. Before making this trip here, I met with our traditional leaders and with the elders in council in preparation for meeting you and talking to you here tonight. It's a matter of corruption. It's a matter of waste, unnecessary and it's expensive, and we're all going to be paying for that. You'll see it show up on your fuel bills, you'll see it uh, in your tax bills, and higher rents and everything, the result of the waste. And uh, it goes down in this society so that uh, to make a profit for somebody. So uh, your economy is, going, is uh, going to pieces. Ours was shattered a long time ago, absolutely taken away and shattered. Now we're trying to build a little bit of an economy all over again, because we have to have that, any people do, to eat and to live. Ours was taken away from us and completely abolished. And uh, now we're creating out in the desert again with our own hands, a way of life, a social order, an economy. We hope to help others, as also we might receive some help as long as there's no strings attached. And uh, we might uh, also be able to help others and showing them how to live. And it's uh, spiritual, it's also economic, it's also uh, 
that we can, uh, we're even going to be, before too long in the future, creating uh, energy from the wind power. So uh, we like to uh, have cooperation of uh, uh, any people who are interested in this kind of thing. That's what we're doing. Close to midnight, a dozen of our group left camp, drove out of the canyon and down the hill. There had been no supper. Fasting was part of our preparation for the events to come. We stopped by a railroad crossing just outside of town and parked the cars off the road as far out of sight as possible. We walked quietly along the highway behind Rolling Thunder. No one had spoken since we'd left the campfire. Rolling Thunder did not want us to be seen. There are people around here who will shoot at anything if they have a reason that's good enough for them. Anyway, some of the local rednecks might get shook up at the sight of a bunch of hippies and Indians out here in the middle of the night. He did not want to have to explain to any stranger what we were about to do. We had to walk along the highway to use the bridge to get across the river. Then we could leave the road and find a path through the field to our destination. We knew that if a car should come from either direction, we must all jump off the road and lie low along the embankment and not be seen. But there were no cars, no sounds, no lights, until we were on the bridge. Rolling thunder broke the silence. Run! Beams of headlights sliced through the darkness as a car rounded a distant bend. There was nowhere to hide. We had to get off the bridge before the car came. We reached the end just in time. The last man leaped over the bank just as the lights reached the spot from which he had jumped. Near the end of the bridge, the land leveled off. There we all squeezed in under the bridge, taking care not to slide into the river. Now maybe you can get some idea of how it feels to be an Indian, Rolling Thunder said. Always running, always hiding, sneaking and slinking around, sometimes shot at, even today, and you never know when, always hunted and chased, kicked out, sent away, herded here and there. You trust the land. You have an intimate relationship with nature, but they try to cut you off. The land gives food and shelter and medicine and cleansing, and you know these things belong to you. The land belongs to life. Life belongs to the land, and the land belongs to itself. But they say, I take this piece. That piece is left for you. Sign your name. They take it all anyway. They signed too, but they didn't care. There was no reason or explanation because it was all wrong to begin with. They just said, You can walk. If you can keep walking, you might live. Now they call it the public domain. Keep off, Indian. This land belongs to the public. This land is managed by the BLM. You are managed by the BIA, so keep off. So you sneak around, and if you feel guilt or fear, they prefer it that way. You have to keep your relationship with nature. Mother Earth is your friend. The land belongs to the Indian. The car had gone right over our heads. The sound faded slowly into the distance, and there was silence again. No one spoke or moved for a long, thoughtful minute. Let's go, Rolling Thunder said. He slid down the hill and caught the man behind him. The two of them caught the rest who followed. We were across the river now, no need to go back to the road. We found the path. Alice handed Rolling Thunder her flashlight, and he led the way as we followed single file in the dark. A few minutes later we reached our destination. It was a stream, smaller and quieter than the river, a natural hot spring. Rolling Thunder called it a medicine spring. 
He pointed the flashlight into the rippling stream, and the beam filled with bright white steam. When he turned off the light, the stream became a silver glow, rising in the dark, its strong smell filling the air. Crouching along the edge of the water, everyone remained silent. This was a time of purification. We stripped off our clothes and left them in neat piles on the sandy bank and then slipped slowly into the water. The bottom was soft and soothing. As our bodies worked their way deep into the hot, comfortable mud, its odors and warmth penetrated our bones. Tense muscles and minds relaxed as the hot mud began to pull on us. Ambitions, plans, hopes, worries, doubts and fears flowed out through the fingers and toes. The stars became brighter and we could begin to see stars beyond stars beyond stars. Time and motion stopped. The quiet presence of the group mind reached out to fill miles of silent space. The earth pulled at the hands and feet. The heavy, hot water pulled at the heart. And the strong, steaming, sulfur smell pulled at the breath. There was nothing but empty consciousness. And that consciousness was flowing outward, dispersing, thinning away. Rolling thunder coughed. It was loud and sudden. I looked toward him as the others did. We had all been gazing into the stars. As arms and legs swished in the water, I began to consider the great beauty of the swishing sound. Rolling thunder coughed again, sharp and quick. All movement stopped. Suddenly a warning passed through my mind. Pay attention to the purification. Again the silence was total, but I couldn't keep the thoughts from running through my mind. I was recalling words Rolling Thunder had spoken back at camp, and their meaning was now far more vivid than it had been then. The beginning is purification. That's the first step. That's a big step, and it's serious business. There's a right way to do everything, and there's a right way to purification. It's completely natural, I'll tell you that much. There's nothing artificial. And purification means purification of body and mind. You don't purify the body without cleansing the mind. That's the way it works. Maybe someday there will be a purification center up in these hills. Below there might be a camp or a meeting lodge. It could be study and teaching and fun too. People could have discussions and talk and think about things. But when a person walks up that path for purification, everything but the person will be left behind. There will be no books or radios or any connection with the outside world. People will leave their clothes behind, too. The clothes will be waiting for them when they get back, but they'll use buckskins, and all the necessary and natural means will be provided for cleansing the body and purifying the mind, so people can leave their opinions behind with their toothbrushes. In the old days, when all our people lived by the tradition and purification was practiced by everyone, we had many means, such as sweat lodges and herbal medicines and special rituals. Different people had different methods, but many things were common knowledge that are mostly unknown today. Things that are meant for a good purpose can also be used for a bad purpose, and many of these things, if they were known today, would be used in a wrong way. But we know that times are changing, and people will be ready to learn these things again. Many of our new young friends have begun to seek the way and have come to the Indian for guidance. There's a natural hot spring just this side of town, we can use it if we go there at night. It can be a sacred place of purification. I've been there many times, and I'm willing to take people there if they'll be serious about it and use it right. I've taken people there before, and at times I've had to ask them to leave because they get silly and make jokes and think wrong thoughts. People have to be responsible for their thoughts, so they have to learn to control them. It may not be easy, but it can be done. First of all, if we don't want to think certain things, we don't say them. We don't have to eat everything we see, and we don't have to say everything we think. So we begin by watching our words and speaking with good purpose only. There are times when we must have clear and pure minds with no unwanted thoughts, and we have to train and prepare steadily for those times until we are ready. We don't have to say or think what we don't wish to. We have a choice in those things. We have to realize that and practice using that choice. 
There's no use condemning yourself for the thoughts and ideas and dreams that come into your mind. So there's no use arguing with yourself or fighting your thoughts. Just realize that you can think what you choose. You don't have to pay any attention to those unwanted thoughts. If they keep coming into your head, just let them alone and say, I don't choose to have such thoughts, and they will soon go away. If you keep a steady determination and stick with that purpose, you will know how to use that choice and control your consciousness so unwanted thoughts don't come to you anymore. Then you can experience purification completely and in the right way, and no impurities can exist in your mind or body at any time. Other people are needed too. We all belong here, or we wouldn't be here. We all have a function to fulfill our purpose in this life, and it might not be at the time what you're doing, or you might not have ever discovered that purpose. But you know when you're happy, successful with what you're doing. And when you don't have a guilty conscience at all about what you're doing. And when you have your families together, like we do, and we see our young ones coming back to us by the thousands and bringing some of their young friends of other peoples with them when they come. And we usually get them their heads straightened out and then send them home to make up with their families and their parents, whether they agree or not. But they still have to show their respect to the elders because that is the way our young ones are raised, to respect each other and respect especially for the elders. And so that's one thing we have practically no problem. We have other problems. Like I say, some have turned to drinking out in the cities some have turned to drugs and different things, and some have lost their way. But when they come home, the door is open. And uh, we have a ceremony for them, and they're welcomed home. And so that's the way our people live. We live according to our tradition and our old ways. And the older ones are needed because we're the ones who have to guide. And the young ones are needed because they're future of our nation. So it is too, we know we're all needed. And when we make a prayers too and say to our relations, we always say to all our relations, that means all people. So we're all supposed to be brothers and sisters. But what does it mean? It means to help each other. And we help each other according to the way we know how. You have heard Rolling Thunder, Part 4, The Buckskin Curtain the fourth in a series of eight programs on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. Selections from the book Rolling Thunder by Doug Boyd were read by Mitchell Harding. Music by the Cheyenne Dave Group with T. Nightwalker, D. Osage, and the White Skunk Sisters, the Little Axe Singers, the Oglala Sioux Singers with W. Horncloud, Ben Sitting Up, and Frank Afraid of Horses, and Leo Kotke. Technical and production assistance by Margaret Fowler, Amanda Folger, and Mitchell Harding. This program was produced by Roy E. Tuckman for Pacifica Radio, KPFK in Los Angeles.